Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. And tonight's episode is episode 67, and we are covering the best foreign films of 1995. Frank, this was our first randomly generated episode where we set aside a number of these to do throughout the year, where it was just going to be completely random. And I marked out really hard when we were at the bar, and I used two websites to randomly find a genre and then a year. <laughs> and we both got really excited over the picks. And um, how did you feel about it when in, in, in the... In the uh, in the aftermath of that when you had to pick these movies it wasn't difficult um at first i thought it might be kind of tough but once i looked at like the list of stuff that came out from that year it went pretty fast yeah yeah i mean all all but one of them i think are actually like like really like good movies one of them mm-hmm. like i like a lot but i can see why it wouldn't be considered like a great movie necessarily um but it's a good good range of directors and actors that were either like on the wane of their prominence or becoming prominent and or at the tail end some of them yeah some some yeah. some really good movies in there too mm-hmm. so i agree yeah no it was um i had never seen any of these movies so surprising uh, to me a couple of those that you hadn't seen so i um i always like those lists where it's like, this is the first list actually where i didn't see i haven't seen a single one of these movies uh, every list so far, I've seen at least one of them. I, yeah. I looked it up and checked, and I've seen at least one of the movie on every single list. But this one's the first one I hadn't seen all five. And yeah, it was there was a good movies in here. I, I I enjoyed. I'm really surprised the one movie number three that you hadn't seen before. The other ones I, I can see where that would seen. be surprising, but number two also because of the director and just my love for that director. Like it's kind of surprising you hadn't seen it. Um, but the other ones, like, I'm not that surprised you hadn't seen them. Yeah. Um, but a good list. I'm excited to talk about it. Was there anything, do you remember, that almost made it? And Nah, there's some... Because um, it's a very limited options, I'm assuming, from that. I year. mean, there's, like, probably, like, several hundred. Oh, uh, but I'm there's sure. A, there's a lot of stuff that's, like... <clears throat> I think there's a, a Beat Takashi movie from that year I thought about putting on, but I can't remember which one it is, and... I think there was a Takashi Miike movie as well from that year, but it's not really a good movie. Right. I can't remember which one. Like, Rikio maybe is 95. Um, some other stuff that, like, I'd seen, but um, I think Sweetheart made a movie this year that I thought about putting on there, but I didn't. So, a lot of Asian cinema from around that time that I watched, mostly because of Tarantino um, and my, like, that fascination with, yeah, like, sure. the action um honestly i don't think john woo had a movie in 95 because i think i looked for that because i mm-hmm. wanted to put one of his on there but i'm pretty sure he doesn't oh sweetheart sweet sweetheart directed um one of the better tomorrows in 95 i think oh okay That'd maybe be maybe better tomorrow yeah. three is mm-hmm. 95 um actually that makes sense because they're watching better tomorrow two in true romance i think and that's 94 right True. 93 so is when it comes out, so they're probably ninety two when they're filming it. Yeah, so I think I I think the sweetheart better tomorrow is is ninety five, yeah. um, which is a fine movie, but I wanted to it didn't like eclipse these other ones, um. So I was pretty confident with the list. Like yeah. it, it took me maybe fifteen minutes and like two perusals of the films from that year on Wikipedia yeah. to come up with it. Yeah, nice. It's it's one of the more different episodes that we've ever done. Uh, yeah. This one. 
Uh, yeah, I like the randomization. I'm looking forward to. I can't remember what the next one is, but yeah, I can't remember either right now. But yeah, no, they're they're all fun episodes. I think like they're different. Okay, so you want to just go ahead and jump right in? Yep. You have any coronavirus concerns you want to air before we get into this? Since everybody's uh, quarantined right now. I mean, so hey, there's we got a big back catalog just so everybody remembers. I'm a essential personnel, so I mean, I got to just like live with it. So I don't know, whatever. So you're just living your life like normal. Well, because we've been working so much, like I don't, it hasn't really changed anything, you know. I mean, yeah. we didn't go to the bar this week, but beyond that, like my life has been almost exactly the same as it would have been otherwise. Because like I like go places, or you know, I mean, it's nice to have my son home for the foreseeable future. Um, that's actually a really big plus of it. But other than that, I mean, that's you know, in terms of like what I'm doing, eh, you know, I make people bring me my groceries and food most of the time anyway, and. I don't know. Right. Nothing else yeah. is different. Yeah. I just, I, I'm almost positive I'm going to get sick, and I really don't want to get sick. So I'm not looking forward to that. But other than that, you know. You, th- you think you're going to get COVID-19? Yeah. Yeah? Because of work? Oh, yeah. Huh. I, you guys are following all kinds of protocols. Even so, I mean, I don't I don't know if that really protects you. Like, you can be safe, but I think that it's going to be so prevalent i think that most people are going to experience it in some way or another i think what's going to be really shocking to people is i think there's still a lot of people that aren't taking this very seriously right now and i think what we're going to find is that in the next 10 days these numbers mainly just because we're going to have tests now suddenly and people are going to be getting tested more the numbers are going to skyrocket on us yeah and it's going to freak everybody the hell out so I'm anticipating the numbers to just skyrocket in the next 10 days. But I mean, with me, like, you know, we, we, we both have beards, like having a beard, like I want to scratch my face all the time and like, I'm not going to be able to stop that. You know, like, eh. it's just, I try and take precautions. I, you know, I wash my hands like a lot and I carry hand sanitizer with me and, you know, I where'd try. You, where'd you find hand sanitizer? My dad made it. Mm. My dad, retired scientist, so he made some pretty amazing like hand sanitizer plus we have it at work everyone gets um masks and hand sanitizer and personal wipes at work just to try and be safe yeah so nice my whole life has changed so i i i can't can not relate to any of that whatsoever because now i just have to be on a computer looking at my fat face on a yeah. webcam all day um i don't got to do that i mean i work 13 hours a day anyway so i go to work Right. before the sun comes up i come home at night i'm tired you know it's like i'm not doing anything and just you like, watch a nick cage movie and call it a day right yeah. sometimes <laughs> i even that sometimes like two or three youtube videos and then just go pass out <clears throat> yeah so i it's 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 crazy though we just finally had in our in the county we live in we just had our first official announcement uh yeah. yesterday 20 year old woman yeah, from the western the part. The western yeah. part of the county. <laughs> right, yeah. Wherever that might be. But yeah, 24-year-old woman. And then um, I heard rumors today that they're probably going to announce tomorrow two more in the town, well, town I live in, um, in Elkton uh, tomorrow that are going to be confirmed probably. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's everywhere. Um, People should stay inside. They should, I don't know, take advantage. Like, I understand that it's difficult, especially if you have no income coming in, but yes take advantage of the time to like i don't know just better yourself somehow like read or draw some pictures or i don't know spend time with your family like right uh, just stay 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 the fuck inside like, yeah 
There's um, people at the beach. Right. For know, those California, people that are not getting their income coming in, um, I don't know. What do you suggest they do <laughs> for, no for recreation? That's, I don't know. I mean, that's really scary to me. It is. It's terrifying. I feel really bad for people that aren't in an industry like mine where, like, you're going to continue to work or yeah. an industry like yours or some of our friends where you can work from home. And right. Still and we've, a right. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, I, we've been talking off air for days now about how, uh, it's been brought up multiple times by different people around me, but this idea that all of the, um, essential jobs are in a lot of ways, lower paying positions yeah. sometimes, you know, and, I don't know. I think that says something. Um, I mean, we pay our employees pretty well, but we're still ordering, you know, McDonald's every day and, right. you know, take out from whatever the local sub shop every day. And yeah, but you think at this point, Walmart's essential. And it's right. like you think about like the stereotypes and the and the thoughts a lot of people end up having about people that work at Walmart. Right. And it's like, yeah, and, well, they, we, and what they get paid. We it's, have friends who are bartenders and servers sure. that are. Yeah earning far less than what they would normally and they're still going into work and making food and right. you know i mean it's um yeah it's it's sad and it's scary and hopefully it's not as long-lived as some of the predictions are yeah i don't think we're through it by the end of next week like some people think but you know hopefully <laughs> some by people yeah right no, hopefully I by agree. the end of may like the towards the start of the summer I'm hoping sometime in maybe mid-april once the spike happens in the next 10 days like mid-april to late april we'll see that um We'll see that curve yeah, flatten a little bit. The, the the sad thing, and not not to take up too much time with the podcast, but yeah. like from a standpoint of just like people's livelihoods. I mean, there's a lot of places that, especially around us, because we live in a tourist friendly area. Um, you're gonna lose Memorial Day possibly. You could lose maybe even like up to the Fourth of July. You know, there's a lot of like when the warmer weather comes, where local businesses like small business like earns the majority of their money for the year like coming up into that season and now yeah. what are they going to do you know no, I, mean, they're I, not... I agree i mean the economy i mean i know if everybody um in our government can get things figured out i mean that stimulus i guess will come through and we'll see what that does for yeah. the economy but i don't know if people aren't able to go out and spend it i i don't know it's well they'll be able to spend it at some point well they can spend it online i guess yeah. I or they can it spend it on like you know their rent and their utilities right right yeah, it's a scary situation. It is. I mean, not only scary from a health standpoint because of the pandemic, but just scary in terms of, um, in the short term at least, um, in terms of um, economy and stuff like that and how people are going to be able to manage to survive and those kind of things. Yeah. I'm still optimistic long term, but um, but yeah, the short term is going to be bad for at least um, at least six months, if not. Agreed. Yeah. I, year, year I don't think it's six months. I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm more hopeful. than. I'm talking about like, the economy and oh, like right. rebounding yeah. and stuff like that. But economy repercussions could be filled up to a year and a half from now, probably. Right. Well, it depends on how like places like mortgage companies and, you know, rental property agencies like deal with people paying those bills. Yeah. I mean, I know in Maryland, like, they can't turn off your utilities, but what happens to right. the money that's accruing sure. for your electric and your water and all that stuff if you don't pay it? It's a lot of good questions. I'm just glad that I'm going to be able to continue to, you know, stay current with that stuff. I mean, it's one of the benefits of having a job like I have. But Sure. No, same here. I mean, I still have income coming in. I mean, I'm able to work from home, so it's that's nice. But, um, but yeah, the just dealing with, like, the, the microcosm of the field of education in terms of... um all the questions of people don't have answers for yet 
I just think about that on a national scale of all these different sectors and new issues and circumstances and like people have to make decisions about those and right christ do i not what i would never want to be in that position to make those decisions it's tough yeah it's tough to stand up in front of a group of employees and we 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 pay our people pretty well but as like a leader and convince people that you know what you're doing is important like what you're doing matters and yeah trying to convince them to keep themselves healthy and you know practice good hygiene and do the right thing and yeah. You know, we do have protections in place, but it's still, it's, um, it's tough because you have those same worries yourself, you know, like right. my parents are yeah. older. I don't want to get my parents sick. No, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, um, she, she never, she never listens to the podcast. So my mother's trying to go to her nail appointment on Thursday. And I was like, no, right, that's no, crazy. it's just me and her. She says, it's just me and her. It's like, except for the people that have sat in the right. chair before you and, uh, and touch the door handle, it's like and... trying to, trying to talk sense into some people. It's like, it makes, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, also like, I understand that need to cling to a sense of normalcy in your life when everything's like completely different, you know, that I, no, I do. I mean, I, I get it. It's like, it was tough like Saturday night, like not to do the normal routine and stuff yeah. like that. And for people to do that every day of their lives. Absolutely. I understand where it's tough, but it's like, this is a once in a century right. thing that we're dealing with. And it's like, I've said a couple of times now, it's like, if this is my once in a century thing is sitting at home, looking at my fat face on a webcam and watching movies. <laughs> right. Then I'll take that over shooting uh, Germans or Vietnamese people. Yeah. You know, like I. Well, we'd I, be too old for that anyway. But yeah, fine. <laughs> Can ignore. But I'm my, glad that my ignore my now my, glad my kid doesn't have to go shoot Vietnamese people <laughs> or Germans. See how it is. Let's talk about a really bad French movie. Uh, um, it's not bad. <laughs> so it's also like Italian. It all takes place in France, right? Uh, yeah it does i'm pretty sure it does um it is so number five on your list is movie beyond the clouds it's directed mostly by michelangelo antonioni uh he dies during the process yeah he just has a stroke during the process (laughs) oh he just has a stroke that he dies from eventually after like 2007 oh really it's like 10 years 12 years later yeah okay it this is the last, it was he was unable to continue because of the stroke. Okay, so then director Wim Wenders right. um, takes over. It stars John Malkovich, uh, Sophie Marceau, uh, Irene Jacob, and uh, what's his name? I didn't write it down. Renault. Oh, John Renault. Ra- yeah. John Renault. Uh, it has a sixty-seven percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a sixty-seven percent from audiences. You can't you can't name Peter Peter Weller. You don't want to talk about Peter. Weller? Oh, I forgot about Peter Weller already. Yeah. That's actually my favorite part of the movie is the Peter Weller stuff. It's the only thing that actually felt somewhat fucking realistic. Um, sorry. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about this movie and what you like about it so much. Plotwise, there's not much to say. I mean, it's it's four kind of loosely interconnected vignettes um, dealing with love and the different aspects of love like there's like young romantic love there's kind of unrequited love there's this passionate like destructive love and then there's the spiritual love that you know like human love can never touch i guess very um very traditional antonioni just in the way that it's directed i mean it's kind of a lot of quiet a lot of like labyrinthine like shots 
in cities and you know long long shots of like small amounts of action happening um i i love the direction in it like it's very reminiscent of um like la Ventura and uh leclise uh, which are two of my favorite movies like ever and two of my favorite antonio movies specifically um plot wise like there's not really much to latch on to i mean it's very um the performances are very it's like a calvin klein ad like come to life in a lot of ways especially like early on i mean there's not a whole lot of like emoting or you know they're all very quiet very toned down performances um i honestly i think malkovich is the best part of the movie um playing the uh proxy for antonioni um just because like he seems like really out of place in a lot of his scenes because he kind of feels like a creepy old man but yet he still is like the object of affection for women and whatever and so like i i i kind of like that like i kind of like the idea of old man antonioni like in his 70s like still trying to still trying to get it in one last time like you know cinematically um right to me this is this isn't a nostalgia pick because i did not see this movie in 95 um this is more of like uh this is the worst out of the five movies you picked oh yes it is (laughs) right um It's like a... That's the other number five, so you know. If there's two number fives, number five is either a nostalgia pick or it's the worst out of the movies that you pick. Right. And this is like a lifetime achievement. And <laughs> a lot of, like, again, a lot of the direction is very classic Antonioni. Um, it doesn't have the same resonance as his earlier movies because he doesn't have... This, uh, the caliber of actors is high, but they don't have the same attachment, I think, to the script. And I think a lot of that's on purpose on his part. I mean, I think... Um, I think it's almost like they're it's it's I don't know parable is is too like powerful of a word but they're almost just meant to be like cautionary fables or something or I don't know like it's like a morality play maybe in some ways but I don't think that it's necessarily an ode to romantic love as much as it is like showing I don't know the banality of love sometimes maybe like I don't know I don't know what he's going for but it's beautiful I think it's incredibly well filmed um I love the like the lingering shots of like the the cobblestone streets and the old architecture and the beach and you know just the way that he films everything has like a very dreamy quality to it and I can see why you know as a film like it doesn't necessarily work all that well but as like a artistic achievement i think it still has some merit to it okay that's it i love antonioni if i get the chance to put the movies i have seen from antonioni when he was younger i liked a lot i don't have a problem with the quiet i don't have a problem with like the kind of pacing of traditionally of his movies i thought the first two segments of this were interminable yes yeah that's true I, that first segment feels like it's like two hours long and it's like maybe, right at least the second one goes by much quicker yeah. where like antonioni gets to you know have sex with sophie marceau is it yeah that's the sophie marceau mm-hmm. yeah yeah um the shop girl yeah i ugh. 
so yeah especially the first one goes on way yeah. too long and i just thought i i here's what i think it is i think it's actually something to do with him filming in the 90s it's the film stock and maybe the cinematography possibly mm. more than his direction because he but even then the some of the cinematography is really good it's it's really weird. There's something about the film stock of it, and I texted you, and I was like, "This reminds me of a fucking Red Shoe Diaries episode." Right. That's, that, that's not that's only fair. in content, but in the way it looked. Yeah, that's fair. And so, one of the problems with this movie, it's trying to make some sort of like this. It's this attempt to make like this romantic. It's it's not sexy romanticism. It's like it's trying to make romance sexy. And that's what, like, Red Shoe Dyers is trying to do. I don't think do. there's any, like, real eroticism to it, though. I think it's more... No, 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 no. It's trying to make the idea of romance sexy. Yeah, but there's not, like... I don't know. I mean, I don't even think it's, like, that much about romance. It's just more about, like... So, he's a very good, like, humanist director. It should be, like, fucking missed, missed connections or whatever on fucking Reddit from, like, that exists or whatever. Right. Like... Look, I'm not defending, like, the plot of the movie. There's no plot to the movie. It's just it's four vignettes. It's like Red, Red Shoe Diaries is a really good, you know, analogy to it. It's just high-class Red Shoe Diaries in that respect. Mm. But one of the reasons why his other movies work so well is because he's really great at capturing the humanity of his characters over the course of, like, you know, a two-hour narrative film. And in this case, he doesn't ever build that. I mean, it's just kind of like... You're just kind of jumping on, you know, like, what is it, media res or whatever, like, of somebody's life, and then yeah. jumping off, like, a very short right. time after. And I think it's just more about, like, capturing the beauty of, like, attractive people, you know, bodies and movements and these beautiful cities and kind of, like, maybe just a love letter to that, but... Yeah, I don't think it's, like, a great... Yeah, movie, Michael but... Ackerson of The Village of Voice, not that I have a lot of... um criticism for these movies because a lot of times foreign films don't get a lot of people writing about them depending on who did them but um this had a few but michael Ackerson of the village voice called it a dreamy pretentious fickle finger of fate many tales struggle to wrestle with love and desire but it trucks in adolescent ideas and delights in nothing so much as undressing their many young actresses yeah, and fine. he does like love to undress these actresses it is like the the amount of time he spends on Sophie Marceau nude yeah. is borders on creepy old man. Don't get me wrong, she's beautiful, but it borders the way that that camera lingers as much as it does. It borders on creepy old man. Yeah, I don't know. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I come here to bury Caesar, not praise him, right or whatever. So. <laughs> Slay Caesar. I hate Entertainment Weekly. I like. I used to read Entertainment Weekly as a kid all the time. Yeah, me too. Kid, yeah, whatever. But teenager. But man, I hate Entertainment Weekly now. Everything's got to be so pithy. While famous for crafting films about incommunicability and alienation, Antonioni here delivers one that simply communicates nothing at all. Right. That's fine too. I agree with them. It's just like Look, I just think it looks really nice. <laughs> okay, let's let's go talk about an interesting movie. 
Number four on your list is La Ceremony. It's directed by Claude Chabral. It is starring Isabella Huber, Jacqueline Bissette, and Jean-Pierre Casal. It has a 93% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an 88% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and what you like about it? Uh, Claude Chabral movie. Um, it's about a woman who kind of falsifies her credentials to become a maid of a wealthy attorney and his wife who's a writer, I think, or an artist or something. No. Musician? Runs a, runs a museum. Okay. Well, anyway, she's... They're, they're, they're rich. Like an art museum. So this woman kind of like ingratiates herself and becomes their maid um, and forms a relationship with the local, like, I don't know what she is. She's crazy. Postal worker. Postal worker. Um, that has an antagonistic relationship with the father. Um, they become close, uh, sort of implied like romantic relationship, although that's never kind of consummated in the movie. Um, the maid woman kind of runs afoul of the father as well. And he's going to fire her like he does fire her. Um, and as a result, like her and her pseudo lover murder the family, um, and that's it. Uh, it's sort of based on a real life murder where two maids killed a family in like the 30s in France. There's oh, okay. a there's a Jean Genet play about it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a loose adaptation of that. Although um, the postal worker woman is never like a maid of the family. Like in the actual thing, it was like both women were maids. Okay. Um, it's been remade several times like that. The Genet play. Um, kind of like a really good low-key hitchcockian vibe to it um i think it's pretty interesting and kind of nerve-wracking um to sort of the first time you see it like are they going to do anything to these people like what's going to come of this like you kind of have that sense of impending dread but they're also is sort of the sense for a long time in the movie that the family who isn't portrayed as like monsters or evil or anything they're just wealthy upper class people that want someone to help take care of them and you kind of get the impression that they might get through to her and like help her out and like but she lies to him about a lot of stuff including not being able to um see like or read with read no she she can't read she can't read she pretends she can read right and they want to give her glasses because she's always saying she can't read something because she can't see yeah because her glasses are broken and Mm -hmm. they want to try and give her driving lessons and she can't do that and she really is very um it's a good character because there's a lot of implied sinister aspects to her previous life, like where she came from and other people that she's interacted with that you don't really get like the full story on. She just comes off as kind of sort of crazy and not necessarily benign, I guess. I don't know, like not necessarily like belligerent or anything, but that there's like an undercurrent of like darkness to her mm-hmm. um, that that she that she portrays really well the actress absolutely um, yeah and then just i mean chabral is a, a, a pretty talented director and does a good job of like building that tension up to the pretty horrifying like last like 30 minutes of the movie which kind of reminds me of like a like a michael haneke movie like funny games or something mm. in that respect of like the the bourgeoisie getting taken down by the proletariat sort of thing um but it's a really entertaining movie. Uh, I had never seen this movie before, um, and Criterion on their um, 
what do they call it, like Saturday matinee selection had this movie there, and I just okay. watched it because I like Chabral. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty impressed by it. Um, so when we hit 95 and I saw, you know, that this was released in 95, because I had no idea, like, when it was released, I thought it was actually later than that. I was pretty excited to be able to put it on a list and talk about it. Yeah, this was um, an interesting movie to watch, mainly because a lot of times with movies, I'll at least see a like short one sentence, two sentence synopsis yeah. of a movie, and I went into this completely cold. I had no synopsis, I had no idea like what the plot was, nothing, and just watched it from the beginning. And I remember I had started it one night. We were going out to the bar, and I watched like the first like twenty minutes or so, and. Is like I can just tell this is either a horror movie or true crime. That's what that was my guesses, right? Like where it's right. like there's going to be some kind of thing where like, and you could just tell from the setup. And you're right, it does a really good job within the first five minutes, six minutes of establishing that you should feel uneasy, even though ostensibly there's nothing about the interactions of the people that should make you feel uneasy. Right, it's all done through atmosphere and sound and music and those kind of things that just sets up. And there's a shot at the beginning of it that's very reminiscent of Kubrick's shot in the beginning of um, The Shining, like with a kind of bird's yep. eye of the car going up like the like the coast. Yeah, that's really well done. And I'm assuming it might be like a little bit of like almost like an homage or something like that, considering the subject matter. But uh, no, it was a it was a good movie. I um, I was just waiting for like you know the the powder keg to blow in some ways, and right. you felt that tension throughout most of it. You're right. I don't understand her character that much. I've thought at first it was a flaw of the movie in. The more I've thought about it, I'm not sure if it is or not. There's something about it that's like, there's something about it that might be better that it's not completely understandable and you have to kind of maybe draw some speculative conclusions about what's going on with her. Yeah, I really like that mystery that like, I don't know, she just kind of comes into their life and they don't really vet her at all and, you know, they just kind of go off the fact that like they're good people, so... Other people must be good as well, and yeah, it's um, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I find the romance that you brought up because you saw it as a you call it like pseudo lesbian romance, right. and and you're saying that because they the the Chabral never actually lets go, them consummate right, never goes there right. Like, you get the sense that there's a couple moments of, like, some touching, like, and just in a very casual intimacy, kind of, that had developed over time. But what's the what's the really great uh, Kate Winslet Australian movie? Um, oh, the, um... Damn it. The Peter Jackson movie. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, talking yeah. about, um... Shit. Uh, Heavenly Creatures. What year is that? That's, like, 94, right? Uh, 93, 94. Okay, yeah. So, that had, like, been... That's that's out there at that point. So it was really surprising to me that he, um, especially in France, that he keeps, he doesn't go there with these two because I, to me it's pretty obvious that has to be what's happening. Ninety four is heavenly creatures. Okay, so it's like I'm not sure if he doesn't go there because of society at the time, or if he doesn't go there because he feels he doesn't need to go there. By you can you can do the same thing through small mo- moments of intimacy right i and, i think that and uh, because one way he's a coward or in the other way he's actually really thoughtful and 
Um, I think it's cog- I, I think it's, else I think that, it's, that I that I think is good. I think it's cognizant of the fact that like, so for a long time when you had someone who was like, think about um Tom Ripley is a really good example. Okay. Tom Ripley is bisexual. Right. Tom Ripley's a murderer and a villain. So it's almost like saying that because he's quote unquote aberrant because he sleeps with men, it leads him to be aberrant by being a murderer as well. And by not like making sexuality a focus of them at all, you don't get the easy out of saying like, oh, well, you know, these like people hating lesbians that just went and killed. You know what I mean? Like That makes sense. That makes some sense. Yeah. And also, I think that again because like it what it's adapt what it's kind of a loose adaptation of you know and like the Janae thing the women really were like in a lesbian relationship when they murdered the family and so why do you need to show that again like that's already because there seriously is like i've i've seen i think like three adaptations of that play alone and it always is a central focus like them being gay mostly to like titillate and kind of in like an exploitive sure. sort of way right so by having it where you can kind of look at it as maybe it's like a sisterly relationship or like a platonic love or maybe it is romantic love and you just don't ever it's just you know like never consummated like i don't know it it makes it a more interesting story do you see the postal worker as recognizing her mental instability pretty quickly not that she's not mentally unstable herself, postal worker, but do you see her as recognizing the mental instability and manipulating her into basically committing these murders? I don't think the murders portion, I think just in manipulating, I think she has genuine affection for the maid, and I think that she recognizes a kindred spirit just in the mental instability, but I also think she sees it as a good opportunity to stick it to the rich family that she feels looks looks down on her, especially the father, and is always trying to get her in trouble mm-hmm. because she's breaking the law, basically, by reading his letters and stuff. Right, but, yeah. you know, like this busybody, like she's she can stick it to him by kind of like making their domestic kind of turn against him. And then I think that when she realizes like how poorly she feels they're treating the maid, um, that's when it sort of escalates more and more. And maybe, you know, again, like, because you don't know either of their backstories, really, maybe that's, it's just there. You know what I mean? Like, that those proclivities are there anyway, and that just comes out naturally through the course of them, like, torturing the family. Um, And they think they're going to get away with it, too. So. Stanley Kaufman of the uh, New Republic says that, uh, that the picture has no theme, no resonance, and no point. I had similar, like, questions to you about that like when i after i watched it it was like what the hell is the meaning of this movie like at the end it just kind of felt like okay like that's it and i thought about a little bit more myself you know and i'm not sure if i have an answer but i'm also not sure if i care anymore about that question but how do you respond to the idea that it has no point like can you see that or i mean what's the point of like shadow of a doubt or vertigo then you know what i mean like I don't know. What's the mm. point in any like true crime esque mm. thriller? Yeah. Like I think the point of the movie is that it makes you number one, it, it's it's effective because it makes you uneasy and it's, you know, pretty taut. 
like psychological thriller and then it also kind of makes you question like who Vertigo, you let into your let me, home vertigo has villains and protagonists and moral complexities and those kind of things that go along with a lot of those characters this is a story though about a villain who it's the slow descent into she's only a villain because of one circumstance really i mean it's one action that makes them like villains. it's the build into being right. a villain but right. it's somebody that like these people have let into their house and let into their lives mm-hmm. and befriended in a lot of ways i mean there's the whole like one in my opinion like the most uncomfortable scene in the movie is when the daughter is basically saying like when she finds out that she can't read like i'm not going to tell anybody i'll help you learn how to you know like genuinely has affection for this woman and is trying to help her and she's like basically like you bitch like if you tell him i'll tell him that you're pregnant and having sex with your boyfriend and don't ever you know what i mean like then it's which i thought was a great this is a minor thing, but when that happens and the daughter immediately tells the parents, hey, I'm pregnant and she also can't read and she blackmail, she's tried to blackmail me. Right. The fact that the daughter does that immediately, like in the next scene, is one of those things that subverts an expectation right. of you as the viewer who just thinks the, the young daughter is just going to go ahead and be blackmailed. Right, because then you're waiting for the blackmail to happen and then just... Yeah, and immediately right. like turns it around, and, and it's I, like, oh shit, what's going to happen now? Because now it's like escalated things that yeah. much more by having that subversion. And I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And like, I think that's interesting. And I yeah. think the movie like does small things like that to kind of yeah keep you engaged, make you interested, yeah. and engaged in what's yeah. happening, and sort of like want to know more about these characters. And yeah. I don't know. Anytime yeah. somebody says, "What's the point?" Like, well, what's the fucking point of anything then? Yeah, I, I, I do I, I do kind of get where he, a little bit where he's coming from. It's like, I don't think, like I said, I, I decide I don't think I care, but I kind of see what he means. And I do think there's a distinction between the movies you referenced and this of what is the point of watching someone turn into a murderer and specifically then what is the, like, if they're, if they're all the same, then what's the point of that story? And what's the point of this movie it's like yeah. why, why why film that of like the idea of someone slowly turning to a point where they massacre a family right i don't know what's the point in henry portrait of a serial killer you know i agree so is it so is it the same is right. what i'm asking i mean sort of like the idea of the of of seeing the horror and recognizing the horror for what it is is it the whole like thing of like I guess. I mean, again, it's like most true crime things. Catharsis yeah. to some degree and acknowledging and, and kind of like acknowledging the darkness within us. Yeah. Or the darkness within others. And maybe as a cautionary tale about, sure, you know, you should be more careful about who you let into your life. Right. Like leaving Las Vegas and you shouldn't be more cautious about becoming an alcoholic. <sighs> Watch the quick cage, everybody. Or listen to the quick cage. Yeah, listen to quick cage. Um, okay. Anything, final thoughts on this? Now, again, like, I was really pleasantly surprised when I saw this movie. I had not seen this movie before. I don't know. It's like, October, maybe I watched it and was really impressed with it and really enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, was happy to be able to put it on a list. No, it's a solid movie. I liked it. Um, okay, number three on your list is The City of Lost Children. It is directed by Jean-Pierre Genet and Marc Caro. It stars Ron Perlman, Daniel Emofork, 
Judith Fidette and has the voice of Jean-Louis Trontenot, um, who is now in his third. Right, two guys, all- five movies. He's an uh, all-star. Movie. He is now, like all in this year too, like from January. The Great Silence, right? The Great Silence. What was the other one? Uh, Red. Oh, right, right, right. He's the old man in it, and And then he's the voice in this, and that's three movies like never before. And then in one year, we're only in March. It's like it's crazy. One a month. I have to put the leopard on a list somewhere, maybe, and then we can talk (laughs) about him again. Um. So yeah, so this has a seventy nine percent from critics and a ninety percent from audiences. Yeah, that seems about right. Uh it's a very um fantasy sci fi. Um I guess you might you could call it like I don't know. Stevador steampunk maybe or something like that is like the Stevador steampunk. Yeah, the genre. Is the Stevador Ron Perlman? Well, because they're all on the docks. I don't know. Gotcha. Like, okay. Because it takes place on the water. Do you want to know what I thought of it is? And then I don't know how many people that listen to this would know this reference. As soon as I like the first ten minutes where it establishes the the setting, is I thought of Bioshock. Bioshock is interesting. Also, um, uh, what's those games? They came out with a guy in the mask um, where you're like an assassin. Oh, the ones you didn't like. With the rats. Yes. I can't remember what those I can't remember what the name now. of it. I played both of them and I still can't think yeah, of what the name me of them hmm. Just dislike both of them. Um, I like the second one back in the first place. So, see, I feel the opposite. I didn't like the second one at all. Um, so, basically, it follows. It's this really kind of like dystopian world where there's these collective of clones that live on an old water or oil rig in the middle of the water um that have this army of cyborg men called the cyclopses steal children so they can try and get the children's dreams so their leader can have dreams basically and they steal um Ron Perlman plays one who's a circus strongman. Um, they kidnap his younger brother. Um, and then it's the course of him like working with this troop of young thieves uh, to try and get his brother back. Um, a lot of really cool Rube Goldberg-esque like set pieces in it um, with like weird like cause and effects like kind of snowballing to save someone through like happenstance or cause something to happen that like advances the plot um one of my first exposures to Perlman I think maybe Kronos was before this you didn't watch Beauty and the Beast the TV show show, yeah uh no like one or two episodes okay I think I knew who he was but I think my mom watched that for some reason at least like they watched it for the first season when it was popular yeah yeah, and I had no interest. My parents didn't watch it, so. Right. Um, it's a very whimsical story, you know. I mean, there's an element, like, pulled from stuff like, I don't know, like, Goonies or, like, the really good, like, 80s, like, Children in Peril, um, whatever you want to call them, like, action comedies, where it's young children put in dangerous situations, and it's very whimsical. Um, it's a really well done, fully realized world where things feel 
like we talked about Dark City last week, and I think one of Dark City's slight failings is that the world. I don't know how to say it. Like it, it, it feels like a really well thought out, highly cultivated like universe that these people inhabit. I agree. And Delicatessen is similar. Delicatessen was before this. That was their like premiere movie. I think maybe I don't know if they made anything before that, but that's the first one I saw. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar in that very hyper stylized sepia toned you know lots of like lighting with like gels where it's like this scene is yellow and this scene is blue and this scene is you know gray and just kind of a good like madcap adventure that i think has a pretty pretty fantastic ending um i think it's a really good like dark fairy tale the whole thing um the villains get their comeuppance which is you know really well deserved and feels earned because you really kind of like detest a lot of the villains like throughout the movie, especially the octopus, right? Who's these um, formerly conjoined twin women who kind of control the young thieves um, to steal things for them, um, and are very menacing and really well done. Yep. <clears throat> um, the only thing that like kind of keeps it from being a little higher on the list is some of it does feel like kind of forced to me. Like the weirdness is forced and maybe a little too much. Like it goes a little too over the top at times, Um, especially in like the really tight close-ups and Dutch angles and got all the screaming, like people scream constantly in this movie. People are always yelling really loud. Um, It's almost always the like villains though, to some degree, like, that are True. screaming loud and i think it's in order for you to dislike them more because it annoys you so much yeah that's possible i mean and it's effective in that regard um some plot elements that i don't know are fleshed out really all that well like um i find this the cyclopses to be like a really interesting part and they're pretty visually arresting and i kind of wish they were in it like a little bit more even there's like the scene where they're in there a couple scenes where they're in like their hive or I don't even know what you call it, like their hideout, but like just a little more, I don't know, story with them, like who they are, or why they exist, aside from just like procuring children so they can get parts like for their eyeballs and stuff. Sure. Um, the girl is does a really fantastic job. Um, absolutely, Luis Vitae or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. never acted in anything again as far as i know like i think that's her only role like ever no she acted in a couple more things but that's it well it, not much no not like nothing. for as good as she was like it's funny yeah. that she just kind of went on and i don't know i guess like lived a life yeah a little uncomfortable in the sense that you kind of get the impression that she's that they're in love like her and one even though she's like eight but then it also is implied that it's like sisterly so it kind of saves it from being like overtly creepy. First of all, <laughs> that's gonna make a terrible joke. I think she's like twelve, and second, I think they take great pains to make sure that you understand that he feels protective of her, just like he feels protective of a little brother. And right, that... but he does get little brother's name tattooed in a heart on his arm. So no, he does not. Yeah, Man, love. What this is, is like a Forrest Gump type thing, though. Always like love the, Millet or whatever it says. I mean, he's obviously not all there either, and that doesn't make it right. Right, but and it's like it, he, that's that's expressed. He that has, he's got the mind of a child. Right, right. He can't stay focused. He's easily distracted. He's easily yeah, tricked. Right. 
he's just super strong. I mean, he's like the gentle giant. He's like basically Sh- like Lenny, but not absolutely right. Not yeah, yeah, you know, he doesn't strangle her. Um, he does. She just like well, her right, ears, right, right. That's true. Through another right. like, Goldberg yeah, I forgot about series that of things. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He does. Yeah. Uh huh. Knocked him out of his. It's it's <laughs> it's a trained flea putting like frenzy poison in his scalp. Right. That causes him to attack her, but then like he gets knocked out of it and. Yeah, I get where you're coming with the weirdness. I pushed you a little bit before we did the podcast when we talked about it briefly. Um, of like, how is this any less weird than Terry O'Gillian movies? And I and I agree that some Terry Gilliam movies go like Tideland. Um, the man, what is it? The man who killed Don Quixote, or the man, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever uh-huh. that movie's called. Um, yeah, we talked about it in the Fresh Five last year. Yeah. Munchausen somewhat i think has the same I, problems but right i think terry i, I think uh 12 monkeys yeah 12 like, monkeys uh, has example. a lot of the same things with the dutch angles and stuff right. that you're talking about in the here. fish eye lens as well fish eye, right it's, it's, absolutely this, this movie does right. that a lot yeah so i think that um i think that like is like there in terry gilliam movies i think there's a little bit of it in brazil um that you that you talked about last week yeah. too and i but i I really love this movie. I, I, this is the one you were surprised I hadn't seen. I guess. Right. Um, I really thought you would have seen it, and I hadn't seen it. And I, um, I've watched it a few days ago, and when it started, I thought the same thing. I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be like some kind of like, you know, it's just going to be all weird, like right. you know, all, all the worst aspects of Gilliam," um, and. I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a good story. A good story um, that, like you said, focused on this idea, like the, it had those elements of the '80s stuff right. with children uh, that I liked when I was growing up. Um, I thought it had a really unique setting that was like a lot of it was like yeah, like some kind of like Bioshock to me, like the video game series. I thought it was like a very much reminiscent of like a world dishonored, like dishonored of the other video games. Yep. You're right, yeah. Yeah, it does have some of slight Victorian elements to it, right. um, like the, the the setting. I thought it was a really unique setting, and I think what it is is the setting is coherent. It's like all the things, as weird as they are, make sense in that world. Right. It's where it's, Dark City just felt like it was kind of like thrown together at times. Right. Here's this weird scene. Here's this weird scene. Right. And it's like, does that? How does that? All that right. make sense together for this world? No. This is a very well thought out and fully realized universe that these people inhabit yeah it's the things i when i when i see fantasy and fantasy is done right this is what it looks like i agree with that and um i like those elements but it also had like you said whimsical it has the whimsy that these two um because i i have the directors right this is the the guys who do amelie right yeah yeah and it's like you can see it like in this movie like that kind of like just maybe syrupy sweet at times, right. like dialogue and like the way scenes play out and the way his character interact with each other, you can see it. And I, 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 I don't think you're as high on that movie as I am. But um, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, I, I like it much better than you, I think. But I, uh, I see some of that here, and it's like I thought Ron Perlman uh was is fantastic in this. I thought the girls fantastic. I thought yeah. all the actors like really just nailed their roles. Um, I really like that. Um. Uh, unfortunate looking dude with the bald head. Uh, it's played by Daniel uh, Emilfork. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that dude yeah, a lot. In really it. good performance. Like, uh, there's so much in this movie that I I, I loved, and uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, 
<laughs> one of my favorite parts in the movie is um so there's uh there's the six like clone brothers mm-hmm. then there's the uncle who's the boss and then the uh, his like wife who's a like a little person and towards the end um as the original scientist who cloned himself in the six like climbs on board the oil rig um he shoots the little little the wife with a um spear gun and one of the um clones is like are you not feeling well and she says yeah i'm allergic to steel and she's got the harpoon sticking out of her and it's yeah. made me laugh really no hard. it's 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 a really good it line. is it's funny yeah there's a lot of little things like that it sounds like a very like dark and serious movie and it is but there's also a lot of like funny stuff yeah that's it's, a lot of, it's 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 darkly whimsical and right. it's a really good fairy tale it's a really good yeah really well made like children's movie that skews a little more adult than mm-hmm. like a, a child yeah it's a little dark for a child's movie yeah. but i don't think it's too dark that you couldn't let like late single digits probably sure. see it. yeah nine ten i think right. we'll probably yeah. be fine mm-hmm. yeah so now i uh yeah I, i'm glad i watched it yeah, I, was, uh, I really enjoyed watching it again yeah i i do think that's like there's so much going on i probably need to watch it again at some point just to put all the pieces together of the world and some of the smaller plot elements and stuff like that because it is really complex actually like um in terms of everything that's going on yeah i haven't seen it since it came out we, we saw it opening weekend at um one of the ritz theaters i think i saw this in fargo actually on the same day um maybe i'm just confusing two experiences but it was um yeah i really loved it when i first saw it and really liked it a lot watched it this time Okay, you ready to move on to number two? Yep. Okay, so number two on your list is Wonkar Wise Fallen Angels. It stars Leon Lai, Lai um, Michelle Rise, and Takeshi Kanehiro. It has a 95% from critics and an 87% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much? Uh, so it's... Uh kind of loose series of vignettes that sort of overlap with each other in terms of like shared characters and um just the fact that it all takes place in hong kong um two kind of primary stories though the one is about uh the leon lai character who's a hitman um who works with a partner that he never meets um who's a woman that's like kind of in love with him from afar that's sort of his like handler she sets up his hits for him and sort of i don't know she just like sits in his bar stool and lays on his bed and um sort of develops kind of a jealousy because he's in a relationship with someone else um the woman he's in a relationship with is woman blondie uh played by karen mock um she's a flighty neurotic kind of crazy woman that falls in love with him anyway even though she's just recently like out of a relationship with somebody else connected to the second story which follows a kid who's a prison escapee and a delinquent who breaks into people's businesses at night and sells their shit like sometimes forcibly to people um he's mute and falls in love with a young woman named Charlie who it turns out was the hitman's 
ex-girlfriend who's mad that the hitman is now taken up with Blondie. So Charlie and um, I can't remember the mute kid's name um, sort of go on these nightly adventures to try and find her uh, so she can get her revenge. Um, beautifully filmed. Like, I, I love the look of this movie. Ninety percent of the time uh there's some things that are very <clears throat> very much anchor it in 1995 in terms of um the way that it's filmed uh especially some of the internal monologue scenes um with the mute uh criminal um who's sort of telling his own story but then like i can't even explain it like making histrionic faces on top of like countertops and I don't know. Yeah. This is going to be an incredibly inside reference, but there was a, we, we, we've talked about this. There was a public access commercial for a local video game store in the late nineties <laughs> called game den. And game den was the biggest scam place ever. Like they overcharged for video games they weren't very customer friendly, um, but the commercials was the middle aged. I, I what would you think that guy was probably like mid forties? The game yeah, dead he owner. Was about, he was back then. He was about <clears throat> mid forties. That the commercial was about him getting a new game and being excited, and never playing the game, but like riding on a skateboard and hooting and like dancing around. And that's kind of what, like, those scenes remind me of. It's just this really poorly realized, like, expression of, I don't even know what you call it, like, his enthusiasm for this potential love affair with this woman that never comes to fruition. Um, that's a that's a really good reference, even though nobody gets it. And that guy was an asshole. Yeah. And he scammed kids out of money by overcharging them. Right. He charged me $80 for Ocarina of Time. And he's probably in his 60s, early 70s by now. And I hope you have COVID-19. I don't hope anybody has COVID-19, but... I hope the Game game Den guy does. Man, he's got my money. That's what he's got. (laughs) All right. Um, So anyway, so (laughs) plot-wise, like, there's, you know, the threads of, like, <clears throat> these missed connections and these loves that are like not quite there or kind of like falling off. And um, my favorite performance in the whole movie is Blondie, the Karen mock character. Um, I think she's fantastic in it and very much almost like a classical, like, I don't even know, like Anna Karina style, like not quite femme fatale. Um, but just somebody that like her personality and her idiosyncrasies, like it's 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 really attractive, and I I, I like that character a lot, um, and I love the way it looks, like the whole Hong Kong at night, because most of it takes place like at night, um, the neon of like the city and the emptiness of like these places that are combined with kind of the grittiness of the street and just the the overall look of like the city is just amazing um the trails on the neon the way he films like in kind of like a haze at times yeah that's the 90s shit that just kind of stands out to me right because it's like the beginning of um it's like the it's the beginning opening of saturday night live in the 1990s yeah that's 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 pretty accurate it's interesting because it's it's not 
inherently similar to anything else that Wong Kar Wai had done to that yeah. point, and really that he did after. Um, the movie after this is Happy Together, which is much more traditional. <clears throat> um, and then, uh, what is it, 2048 or 2042, whatever that movie's called. Um, after that, and those are much more traditional in the sense of like how he films things and just his much more kind of like understated classical feel. But this movie kind of feels like a John Woo movie at times. Um, one of the opening scenes where the hitman goes in to carry out the hit in the um, the restaurant and it's just the double guns you know the guns akimbo and stuff flying all over the place and him like being like this expert like killer and that sort of juxtaposed against his more like thoughtful internal monologues um one of my favorite scenes with him is sort of he's being harangued by this guy that was a former classmate that's uh is successful insurance salesman now and he's getting married and he wants him to come to his wedding and he's kind of just sitting there sort of taking it in and listening and thinking like i can never tell this guy like what i do or could he insure me if he knew what i did and i've always wanted to go to a wedding but like obviously i can't do that and i don't know it's just i Wong car wise one of my one of my favorite like latter-day directors um hasn't really done much really hasn't done anything in like 10 years i think the grandmaster is like 2012 or something that's his last movie and then it's like my blueberry nights is 2007 before that um but really talented director uh really great eye for capturing cities and especially cities at night and just a really good you know in in the way that there's no narrative that really strings together beyond the clouds um, in terms of like a romance, this one is very heavily connected and you kind of feel like engaged with the characters the whole time. And it's just, it's a really enjoyable movie. Pretty short too, like 96 minutes. So yeah, I, um, besides some of the 90s stuff uh, that I found a little irksome, I, I enjoyed the movie overall. Y- you, you love these misconnection things, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not a big fan of. And I also don't like inner connecting stories as much as you do i think yeah sometimes. i really like that a lot and I, I i it's kind of like to me like short stories i'm not a big short story person i i like novels i i don't like short stories and i find these kind of things to be short stories that are not fully realized um doesn't mean that short stories can't be good it doesn't mean that some of these movies can't be good but i just don't i'm not as drawn to them like i, I want like a full length story involving characters i can yeah relate to and i do think the characters are a little thin um in this sometimes like not fully fleshed out but it's also a different language and different culture that sometimes maybe i don't i i always admit i maybe i can't see some of that like depth of characters i mean it's just like i don't know it reminds me of when i was in my teens and early 20s and just like you'd be in like a new relationship and kind of like the infinite possibility of like midnight kind of is how I used to think of it. Just so like anything was possible and like the night was never going to end and you just kind of feel like, like lost in that moment. And, and in a lot of ways it kind of reminds me of like almost like a perfect filmed version of like a Haruki Murakami short story, mm. just in the way that like the dialogue is and the, That's... like the, the pseudo kind of mysticism of, you know, the, the guy falls in love with the girl and the girl's like obsessed with blondie and 
his hair starts to turn blonde and sure. then when she you know kind of rejects him and the relationship ends like his hair goes back to yeah there's like again. those elements of magical realism in it yeah. yeah and it's just small and it's never really explained but like it really feels like how i feel about stuff like like norwegian wood and wind sure. up bird chronicle and, yeah. and like i you know i mean both of us i think really like murakami a lot right so yeah <clears throat> i like that and i i like that a story doesn't necessarily have to go to its ultimate end to still be satisfying to me and i like the fact that you know it's just sort of interweaves with itself and kind of leaves you uncertain about what happened to anybody in it <clears throat> but still you know i think entertained and I don't know. I really like it a lot. It's one of my favorite movies of his, honestly. Like, after In the Mood for Love and Happy Together, I think this is probably my third favorite. Yeah, and this is somebody... I'm I'm somebody who loves In the Mood for Love. Like, that's... I think I drunkenly said it was in my top five of all time, right? It's a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. The way that movie's filmed is amazing. Right, it's beautiful. I, um... In in my research, when I was trying to like find people that had negative things to say about this, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, honest, a lot of it was about um, people just not liking the characters at all um, for different reasons. Yeah, and but I came across this slant article by Kenji Fujishima um, that talks about this movie at length in terms of somebody who obviously knows uh, 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 Wong Wise like filmography really well right and made me actually like rethink some things about this movie and he says that in the movie he ta- he goes through a list of like those different stylistic uh signatures of uh uh wise car wise filming style he says you take all these signatures to he takes all these to extremes he pours on the slow-mo the pixelated action scenes the neon lighting and the pop music in addition, the voiceovers become a dominant creative force. There's barely any dialogue, and nearly all the characters' thoughts and emotions are expressed through narration. For all of its youthful styles of brashness and crisscrossing plots, though, one of the major themes of Fallen Angels is the idea of moving on, or at least trying to do so, moving on from an unfulfilling job in the case of Lies' assassin for hire, moving on from a broken heart in the case of Rise's personal assistant, and especially moving on from a slacker's existence in the case of... Um. Uh, the mute character. Yeah. Um, he Zwayu. Um. He ends up concluding towards the end. Um. Based off of that, that for all of its high style, it's arguably his most outwardly deceptive movie. He says, "I saw it soon after Days of Being Wild, probably the earliest of Wong Kar Wai film that could be said to be a spiritual precursor to In the Mood for Love in 2046. Compared to that relatively relaxed feature, this movie at first seemed like a mere exercise, excessively moody, yes, and seemingly less interested in defining the characters and deeply involving us in their thoughts and emotions than in looking cool, playing with certain romantic notions of reveling in changing film stock because late action scenes and glamorous neon lighting." The result at first struck me as superficially impressive, but rather detached and empty. One could easily be dazzled by the MTV veneer, but was there really anything beneath the pretty surface? These days, though, as a young film enthusiast still working out my views on cinema in general, I've become less interested in placing emphases on well-told stories and three-dimensional characterizations all the time, as many filmgoers are wont to do. Perhaps that's why, a few months after getting my first glimpse of this film, I couldn't get its powerfully alienated feel out of my head. 
While I can see that the characters of Fallen Angels are rather thinly defined and in style at times a little too flashy, the film is more important to Wong's body of work than it first seems. <clears throat> in pushing its visual approach and his feel for hapless romantics to extremes, he carries his modern style to its zenith. In emphasizing the changes his characters experience, I think Wong is implicitly looking ahead to his own career, wanting to enjoy the same free-spiritedness of his characters, a freedom not ref reflected not only in those characters, but also in his rampant technique through the film. But realizing with a wince that even in a big city like Hong Kong, there's a price to pay for such living such a lifestyle, that Wong continued to explore similar themes of love and alienation in an equally gorgeous yet more mature and intelligent style is further proof he's one of the most exciting and fascinating filmmakers working today. There's a little bit more before that that kind of leads up to that, but I thought it was extremely well written for Slant Magazine. Yeah, it's an extremely well written and um, um, I think coherent take on how that fits into his body of work of a guy who's ready to go on to more mature things and is almost like pushing it to its max in terms of like trying to get it all out of his damn system before he moves on to in the mood for love which is one of the most mature i think filmmaking pursuits i've ever seen yeah um and i and it made me actually appreciate this a little bit more of him just kind of like having fun like a youthful exuberance of having fun like with this movie before like he kind of moved on to some some weightier work for himself yeah i can see that i mean i like i agree i i, I think it's a well-written you know whatever editorial yeah. look at like him and this movie in particular um it's so i don't know like almost 20 years ago at this point i got a box set of his stuff it was five movies mm -hmm. so it's um days of being wild uh, happy together fallen angels chunking express and um one other one i can't remember which one it is um but really like i don't know like i i i love his humanistic approach to character building and storytelling and i just i don't know like i i like the way that he i like his eye i like the way that he captures scenes that make you feel like they're real and that you're there and i don't know I, I i wish he had done more like after in the mood for love in 2046 yeah. um and i like blueberry nights and i like grandmaster but <clears throat> i don't know like what he's done since then yeah no movies as far as i know it's crazy i um yeah i can't wait to watch in the mood for love in 2046 again but i'm waiting to do them I'm waiting to watch them for the podcast, so like at this point, because I know I have access to them now through Criterion. Yeah. Um. So I'm, but I, I'm, I'm holding off because I, I'm pretty sure this year, though, at least one of them will come up. And when I watch one, I'll watch the other. But <clears throat> yeah, you'll um, one of them is going to be in a podcast yeah. in the next few months. So. Right. Yeah, that's what I figured. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting movie. I, it's not. It's not entirely my cup of tea, but I think he's an interesting enough filmmaker that he makes anything he films very interesting. And I just wish the stories were a bit more fleshed out for myself, but that's just a personal thing with me. Yeah. Mm. But good movie overall. All right. Ready for number one? Yep. Do you, do you want to pronounce it? No, I, I got it. So it's um, La In. 
It is directed by Matthew Kasovitz. It stars Vincent Casal, Hubert Kadei, and Saeed Tagamawi. I think um, that's all pretty close. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close on all of them. It has a 100% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 95% from audiences, which is um, close but not completely the highest score overall that we've had. There was, there was, there was I think Stalker was maybe 197, yeah. if I remember correctly, but <clears throat> uh, really high um, and, not, and has a lot of reviews. It's not like a, this has six reviews type thing. Um, so widely respected among critics yes. um and so. well liked among audiences most of the time so you want to tell us a little bit about this because um, i don't know how many people have heard of it so i'm actually gonna it's kind of interesting to me that it's so highly regarded by audiences like i would have guessed low 80s if i had to guess yeah i can um, see that yeah so it's very much a. it's a look at roughly one full day in the life of these three immigrant friends in paris who come from different backgrounds but have a friend in common who's been beaten by the police is in custody i think um and them like going out into the city on against the backdrop of these riots like in the area that they live um and just their their encounters with various like people their attempts to kind of reconcile themselves with do you fight back against the police? Do you riot? Do you just kind of try and live your life? Like they all have different viewpoints. You know, um, the Vincent Cassell character is much more antagonistic in his viewpoint about like how you deal with authority. Um, uh, the Hubert, I can't Condre or whatever. Um, Cuddy, Cuddy. Um, even though like his life has been impacted, he's a boxer and his gym has been burned down and he's, um, much much more wants to just kind of like not be involved still has kind of a stake in it and then saeed uh is sort of the middleman that kind of plays like the go between between the two of them and he's a muslim immigrant from like north africa and he's got like more <clears throat> kind of like a shared opinion of both like i think he is afraid of like the being combative but also is more pushed towards like social resistance just because of his yeah. own viewpoints. And um, you can see that in him because he kind of serves as the peacemaker between the two often. Yeah. Mm. He's also, in some ways, like, both the least and most mature out of all of them. Like, he's right. definitely the portrayed as, like, a, I don't know, not ne'er-do-well, but kind of like, I can't think of a good word right now for it. Um, he's the most sexually obsessed out of all of them that shows like right because he of feels the most like an actual teenager. Like, right, he's not. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so they end up like going through various encounters. Um. <clears throat> one time where they have the chance, they isolate a member of a skinhead gang, and uh, the Vincent Casal character has the chance to kill him and can't do it because you know it's just not him like to take a life. Um they have run-ins with this, these plainclothes police officers and in the end it turns into um, like a tragedy. You know, Vincent Casal is, is killed um, by accident by one of the officers. Um, I, it's so, it's it's a really powerful film. Um, again, I'm surprised by the audience, how high it is on audience reaction just because it's got like 
it's another movie that feels very rooted in the 90s in terms of like the style of direction and just um i don't know it almost feels like an extension of see this i don't want to say i don't want to minimize the impact of the filmmaking because i think it's a very brilliantly shot film and i think it really makes you feel like you're following these people that you grow to know over the course of however long the movie is like an hour and a half but over the course of like a day in their lives right but it also has a very um maybe like real world-esque like real world season one-esque feel to it in the sense of like uh vins or whatever his name is the casal character is kind of obsessed with taxi driver and you know he's doing the you know you talking to me in the mirror and yeah and because i think it was probably filmed in like probably like 93 94 before its release and that it is it's a little bit behind american culture but american culture is still very prevalent to some degree throughout the movie right like he's got being represented yeah the bret hart poster in his room and right and there's a bunch of other like posters and stuff like that as that he has in the room and then and then uh, what's his name the Kadi's character has Ali poster like right. Muhammad Ali great visual representations of who they are i think in a lot of ways and um a real fighter versus a fake fighter like right. there there's a lot of stuff you could do with what's in those rooms for both characters and <clears throat> well Vince is a character that still has a lot of trappings of being a child like he's right has the pretense of being like mature and politically active and socially conscious, but also, but his reactions are also very immature right. about how he deals with yeah. those things where Cotty's character is much more mature about the way he deals with those things and knows you can't push too hard and that violence isn't going to get you the right results all the right. time. And, you know, he's much more, he's much more politically aware and conscious of the decisions that he's making when he does them. Sure. And that's why I say the Ali poster actually works for him really well. Like, um, and, but yeah, like I, I think because it's a little bit far, but a little bit behind, I think you're right. I think the real world time period is exactly like the right time period uh, that it's the filmmaking process. I don't know. I think, I know you're not trying to down it, but it's, I don't know if you can make the, the comparison to real world without feeling like it's downing in some way. That's like, what I'm saying. But I mean, that's the feel that I, yeah, because it is pulling from a time where like there was a lot of experimentation in filmmaking and yeah. it, it is done in like an experimental style, you know? It's, yeah, it is. Uh, there, there's some elements of Spike Lee at times, I think in it. Sure. That, that, there's but, also elements of like Godard in it too. Because sure. There's sure. definitely, yeah some masterful shots especially of them moving through the city at night and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's one in particular reminds me a lot of a i don't know if it's a callback to it because it's similar sort of similar in tone but when they're on the rooftops and they're hollering down at the police officers um the shot composition is very similar to some stuff in uh the battle of algiers which mm-hmm. is like a mm-hmm. what 50s or 60s french movie about um french occupation in algeria right but, you know the similar idea to like I don't know, kind of like the stranger in a strange land thing of like people with different cultural backgrounds and but there's also shots in it too that it's like i i think it's somebody who really knows film well this um and i don't know him very well um Kasovitz. um but there's like stuff that reminds me of things like uh somebody like cassavetti's too mm. like do you remember when they're in the jail cell all of them and he has that camera 
pulled about 20, 25 feet away from them. And so, but it, and it's a little off kilter. Like it's a, like so that they're like, even though you can see them all in the jail cell, they're just a little bit off the center frame. Right. And it feels like you're just kind of 20 feet away just listening to them. And there's this voyeuristic aspect to that whole scene that reminds me of something you would see in Cassavetes. And I, yeah, I think it's somebody who knows film and is experimenting with a lot of different stuff. But there's definitely Spike Lee stuff, like quick cuts to close-ups of people saying stuff or yelling and stuff. Yeah, like that's it, very, very Spike Lee-esque. Yeah, and... Yeah, like a, a cut when you're... You've got more of an abstract idea of what people are thinking, and then it cuts to a shot of someone's face speaking directly into the camera. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's it's a fairly interesting film movie. Sorry, go ahead. We got off topic. I don't know that I would saying. give him. I'm looking at his um, filmography right now. He directed Gothica. Oh right, that was his failure in America, and then he went back home. Right, I think I did look that up. Yeah, that was a pretty bad failure. So. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Um, but anyway, it's the, this is a really powerful film. It's yeah. very, very thought provoking. Um, it goes by super fast. I, I felt, um, for being such a weighty topic, like it, it doesn't feel like a long movie when you're watching it. I don't even know how long it is, honestly, because I wasn't paying attention. I think it's like an hour fifty. This is not a movie I was familiar with in 1995. I didn't see this until it was released. The Criterion release sometime in like the early 2000s, and okay. I bought the DVD. Um, and really was like kind of blown away by it. Um, so this is only maybe the second time. Maybe I've watched this movie three times. Um, so it still feels like really fresh when I watch it, which I really enjoy. Like when I haven't seen something so much and it can kind of like, I don't know, be moving and like thought provoking and not feel like I've seen it a million times before. Um, pretty revelatory acting by Casal too. I don't know. I'd say all of them. Like they, they, all those young men at that point, like nail those roles. Yeah, that's true. Um, Cotty, I thought, was amazing in this. Casal, uh, like, definitely is really good, and you see that talent that he's going to end up showing um, in roles later in his career. Um, Cotty has... He went into directing and all that kind of stuff, and he has a lot, a lot of film roles. The only other thing I've seen him in, I didn't even know who he was at the time, was The Constant Gardener. <clears throat> yeah, Constant Gardener is a fine movie. Yeah, it's a fine movie. It's it's a, like a lot of those movies that are done by like Americans trying to make some kind of political statement about a foreign country. Um, they're fine. It's the only other movie of his that I've seen. Yeah, same here. But I thought he was amazing in this. Um, really strong, powerful presence to him uh, throughout and really good delivery of lines. I thought he was a complex character, and I thought he did really good in terms of his mannerisms and facial expressions to show how torn he was. And I think um, uh, Taglanwi is really good in his role, too. Yeah. The only thing I know him from is Lost. Um, he had a role as Saeed's like, friend over in Iraq in that TV show in the flashbacks. but. <clears throat> Yeah, but definitely worth watching. Um, yeah. It's another one that's available on the Criterion channel. Um, yeah. The Criterion transfer is fantastic of it. So, yeah. As much as I raved about the City of Lost Children and marked out to it like a little while ago, like this is this is definitely, to me, too, the number one movie oh, yeah. like, out of these five. I, like, I think this is the most important film on this list by far. Um, definitely the most thought-provoking and maybe the most, like, 
I don't know. The most interesting, maybe. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's 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 a great film and it's yeah. worth watching. Yeah, you asked about like you were surprised it was so high. I went through the audience reviews just to kind of see what was there, and a lot of it had to do with the characters not being likable people. Um. I, I, I don't know. I'm assuming it might be the, the Saul character people were thinking of as not being likable, possibly. Um, but he's relatable. I think. Right. My second note, as I was writing these things, as I was like typing, like, you know, what else I was seeing is I just wrote, these are all people who lack empathy. <laughs> um, That's probably So true. I think the very point you're making that they're relatable is that that's the problem is that they're not relatable to some people um but i think that they're all very relatable i think they almost represent three different paths that people take not in terms of their political consciousness even but just in terms of their you you know one of those characters even if you weren't one of those characters you know every single one of those characters to some degree of how they grow up and how they choose to mature um over time yeah i wonder see i could the criticism I would think is that I don't know. If, so the movie ends on an ambiguous note. I'll say it that way. Sure. And that's where I would think, like, if there was anything that, like, from a modern audience would criticize, it would be that that it leaves you not knowing. Like a- after showing you this tragedy, like it doesn't give you. You know enough though. The yeah. sound, the sound design doesn't does enough to, to where you know. But. So. It's it, but it's a shocking ending, and that's why Frank's not. You know, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's both shocking and inevitable at the same time. It's one of those type things. Right. It's 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 just really sad. It so. is. Yes. But really good movie. Really worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So, yeah, so it was a good list this week. I enjoyed watching. Yeah, I, except for the two segments of that first one. Um. <laughs> and I do like the second two segments well enough. It's just those first two yeah. segments are a little much. Um, it's. Yeah, I don't know. But uh. But yeah, I enjoyed all these movies and um. So, uh, that's our list for tonight. In the coming weeks, Frank, we have, we have, uh, we're taking a break next week, um, for official release and we will be coming back on the first week of April with the top five movies that Chris loves, but Frank hates, which is our most meta list, I guess, out of, out of all this. So I get to talk about, um, movies that I really like that Frank hates, I sent you like a list of like a hundred movies, I think, close to it from like the seventies through like the early two thousands. It was like I like all these, and I don't know how you feel, or I think you dislike these movies. And then you picked your top five. Do you still have that list? I want you to send me that list again. Yeah. Well, you think there's more now? No, I just want to see it again. Oh, I couldn't remember a lot of them, and I watched a movie that you love that I hate the other day, and I still hated it. And I was wondering if it was on that list, and I should have put it on our list. I think. My do you do you want to know like uh, well I'll give you two movies as a, as a preview for um movies I thought would be on there right and are not on this list okay um being there I don't hate being there I just don't you, love it as much as you love you it. hate being I there. don't you hate being Such there it's un- one of it's one of those low key things where it's like you sit there and defend yourself and say I don't hate that. And the Poseidon Adventure, I thought you. Oh, would. I like the Poseidon Adventure. Really? Yeah, I'm fun. pretty sure you shit on the Poseidon no, Adventure in front movie. of me before. No. 
it's been like this oh yeah like you know like a uh, shipwreck like you know got to get out like uh, you've done some kind of like thing like that no, like you're, make fun you're of i'm pretty sure this is character it. assassination i like the Poseidon <laughs> adventure just fine okay i don't uh, know that I'd ever make a list but i'll send you a list again maybe best like aquatic movies with um ernest borgnine i don't know right see this is what i mean <laughs> this is what i fucking mean right <laughs> um it's fine though. It's it's like it's like the Towering Inferno or Airplane seventy seven or something. You know, what I mean, whatever. The, the other movie that I thought would be, I'll give you three and then I'll stop. Is um, can you guess what it is? Is it the Money Pit? <laughs> no, it's not God, the I Money hate that Pit. Fucking movie. <laughs> no, we'll talk about the Money Pit too because you since just since you watched it, we'll spend a couple <laughs> minutes talking about it because it'll never make a list, right? Because you don't do comedy. I I, I do comedies that are funny. <laughs> Spring. Spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. I thought you would no, put I on like there. I like that movie. You, Frank, you are. This is you are trying to sell. This it. is the you thing. You are trying is to craft an image. You love. You like. You'll love a movie, and I'll be like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, this, and then you'll. This be, is your no. This uh, is your Lord of the Rings thing. You just do it more than you think, <laughs> because you don't want to have the conversation. Um, you don't really want to have to defend Listen, how much you hate that it. spring, summer, fall, winter, spring shit is uh-huh, a beautiful movie uh-huh. that i had no interest in and i right. just wanted to like fall asleep like every time i watch it ridiculous <laughs> I, you, whatever what's your, what's your what's your favorite book the hessa book oh siddhartha siddhartha it's it's takes me less time to read siddhartha than it takes me to watch that fucking movie <laughs> i see and i fall asleep see, this, is, this, this is what this is what you get like this is what i deal with but it's um, fine it's fine it's, it's fine, fine movie. it's fine right okay so we're doing that in the first week of april yeah. we're going to be doing the top five ingmar bergman movies yeah i'm excited for that um which i just started today uh on speculation mostly <laughs> but i but i can guess a, a couple yeah um for sure on that list and then um our third man episode for april might be a little up in the air due to COVID 19 right so um we have a backup for that just in case um uh, if it ends up being horror i hope everybody can forgive us um for our no horror or our horror ban or my horror ban i guess that i placed on the podcast so that we wait until october to talk about horror again but um uh, but yeah, COVID nineteen, the the real life horror might um might make that a necessity. Um, and then yeah, May we have like tons of like different type of shit coming up. Like May's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm actually hoping we don't do a third man so we can do that um that one episode. Okay. Um, well, we're not, it's not like we're going to be doing anything for the next two months, so yeah, you're right. We could do every week if we really get to educate my to. son on some good movies yeah and all the shit that you all the shit are making right me watch. yeah okay um so that's our episode tonight remember you can follow us on instagram or facebook if you have any um suggestions you can hit us up through there um for your own list that you'd like to see us do other than that everybody be safe uh hope you're uh you and your families are well and everybody have a great night yep have a good night